I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome along to the VMTV Rugby Pod. Great to be back again, Alan and Matt, with me as always. And great to have Ian Madigan today as well as a special guest. Ian, how are you getting on? Yeah, really good. Uh, enjoying life up in uh, Ulster. Um, came back from a, an injury there that had me out for a few months and got back in for um, a, few of the, a few of the European games. And, and um, the, the two of the last three three games that we've had have been away from home. So I got the... Got the glamour fixture of Glasgow away, and then we had a nice win against Sharks, and then I had the uh, the pleasure of seeing us win an important game against Cardiff. So um, very much feels like our season's back on track now, which is great. Yeah, great to have you, and great to have your insights for the next forty minutes or so. Alan, first to you this weekend. All eyes ahead of Murrayfield on Sunday. It's going to be such a big game, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Um, I think Scotland have uh, improved uh, a lot. I think they were. Pretty unlucky against France the last day. Everyone could see that. Um, their attack, their bit of zip energy about their performances. Um, they seem to be confident as well of what they're doing. So, yeah, it's going to be a very difficult game. Ireland have won the last seven games. They've played one and six, six Six Nations games and one at the World Cup. Um, last time they lost was 2017. There was the famous day when the bus was was pretty slow getting into the ground. I'm not sure if you were there that day, Mads, were you? But... Um, <laughs> Yeah, Joe, Joe made a, that infuriated Joe Schmidt at the time. And um, Ireland were really slow out of the blocks. I think Scotland got a couple of early tries. And um, Ireland responded, came back, but ultimately lost the game. So I just think that, um, yeah, look, Ireland have been the dominant side. If you're Scotland now, you're thinking uh, now or never to beat them. And uh, we need to do it. And they have a good side. I think they, their front five has improved a lot, particularly, you know, in, in the front row. I think having Schumann there. Um, and Turner at Hooker, um, I think they've they've made a big difference. Those two guys, the loose set and the Hooker, um, they get their hands in the balls a lot, ball a lot around the field. And um, I think the centre partnership has been a big difference from as well Tupeloto and uh, you, you Jones. So yeah, they've good players, and uh, we'll ultimately and obviously probably talk about um, um, the out half and Finn Russell and what he can do, and and you know how every opposition team will hope to put pressure on him. Ireland will hope to do that on, on Sunday. But it's a tricky one for Ireland. There's no doubt about it. And they'll certainly be looking forward to um, to welcoming Ireland to Murrayfield on Sunday. Yeah, it is a tricky one, as you say. Matt, obviously the Ireland team announced tomorrow. So many talking points. You know, Furlong maybe coming back in. Gibson Park, Stuart McCluskey. Sort of selections all over the park, which still need to be made. As a coach, what would you go with if everyone is fit and ready to go? What a lovely problem to have, isn't it? You're bringing back all of the names you just mentioned there, you know, are world-class players. And we, we haven't, you've got to add in Sexton and Ringrose 
you know, what, what do you do with Bundiaki? Uh, does Henshaw come in and start? And uh, as we were just discussing before we, we started the pod, the, uh, the Irish management have kept their cards exceptionally close to their chest. It's hard for us to know uh, who exactly will start with Blue Furlong will come in. Well, that's the best, if the best tight head in the world. If not, he's certainly there or thereabouts. The uh, Sexton, the genius. And, you know, Jamison Gibson Park just puts pace on the game. That will make uh, the Scottish defence uncomfortable. And that's basically what the, the Irish game plan has been for uh, uh, 15 months now, is to put such pace and tempo on the game that the rushing defences that dominated the game for so many years in the Northern Hemisphere can't cope with that pace. Uh, and then what a beautiful dilemma to have uh, the choice of of uh, Robbie Henshaw, Bundiaki, Gary Ringrose uh, to, to be there. And, of course, Stuart McCluskey, who's proved himself so, so wonderfully in the last uh, six months. So... Whoever they put out will be a handful. And, and the other part on this, Stu, is if we look back when these players weren't in, Ireland played with the same game plan. We've we got to remember that that phenomenal pass uh, from uh, uh, to, for Hugo uh, Keenan's try when Finley Boolam did the pass on the inside that's usually done by Furlong. So it doesn't matter who's got the number on their back. They'll be playing a similar, a similar way, but to have this uh, this this great number of world class players returning, I think is uh, is phenomenal for Ireland. I totally agree with Alan. This is a much improved Scotland side. They're showing they've got consistency, which has been their devil for the last few years. They've won some great games and then played horribly the next. They've been pretty consistent. The first half against Wales at home at Murrayfield was not good, but their second half was great. But they'll have to be at their best to be to beat a, uh, what is a world, definitely a world-class Irish side. Yeah, it is a world-class team. And Ian, firstly, just to get an oversight in of, of this team, you know, obviously we can talk about the results, but what's impressed you over the last couple of years about Ireland in general? I, well, I think from this competition, what's impressed me most is, you know, before the competition, you talk about missing, you know, Tyg, you're missing Robbie, um, you'd be worried. And, uh, you know, the backup tight head is always a, a huge issue because, you know, no scrum, no win, as, as we all know. And what's really impressed me is the guys that have come in have just been seamless. And that's a sign of a, of a squad that knows the system really well. Um, another element that has really impressed me is, like, some of our kicking hasn't been amazing, but we scramble incredibly well as a team. And we work hard for each other, um, and again, that shows me that it's a camp that's happy, that's competitive. And that's what you need. Like going into, into a World Cup, you need, you know, at least two deep in every position and you need training to be incredibly competitive. There's only a certain number of games and you need, you need the guys to be challenging each other nearly at a higher level than what they're playing at the weekend. And with the squad that they have at the moment, I believe that they're getting that and they're coming to games at the weekend and it's nearly kind of going... Jesus, this is nearly easier than what we had in training on Tuesday with what the you know the perceived second team were throwing at us, um, and you know as Matt touched on there, you've got um, and and Robbie competing in the center of those four guys going toe to toe in training is off the charts, and what they're going to come up against at the weekend. 
I know that the, the Scottish Sanchez have been playing well, but it's not of the same quality of those four guys. Yeah, I'll, um, I was going to move to you and touch on Finn Russell, but I think it's fair enough to go back to Ian and stay with him. What's he like to play against Definitely Ian go back to Ian for that. <laughs> yeah. and maybe over the last 18 months, has he changed as a player? Has he become a wee bit more structured, but yes, still so brilliant when he wants to be? Yeah, look, he's he's still, you know, fantastic to watch. He's of the, the, the mould of Marcus Smith. You know, he's a maverick. Um, I think one of the biggest misconceptions with Finn is that, you know, that people think that he's laid back and he doesn't care. That's not true. This guy puts in a, a serious, serious amount of, you know, video analyst uh, work. He does a huge amount of work in the gym. And I know that we've we've had the pleasure of having Rory Sutherland over with us in, in Ulster over the last few months. And Rory kind of made it clear to me that, look, he kind of enjoys getting this persona of laid back and, and whatnot across. But there's no doubt that the work goes in during the week into being able to execute what he does at the weekend. When he throws this like double miss pass to the winger, it's because he spotted something on a Tuesday or a Wednesday when he's doing his video footage. So it's not like he's just pu- pulling a rabbit out of a hat. There's thought process behind what he does. Um, I think one of the, the, the challenges that Ireland are going to have this, this weekend is we obviously want to put them under pressure. And like all good tens, you want to take their time away. But with the width that Scotland play with, you put too much pressure on uh, at Finn and you create a dog leg in your defence and then you give the likes of Hugh Jones, Van der Merve, space in the edges, hog, <clears throat> that's when Scotland can be really dangerous. So you don't want to fall into the trap of trying to shut down their main man and Finn Russell and then Finn's, Finn's sharp enough to know that we're going to come after him and then he starts releasing the quality players around him. Oh, is that the maybe the worrying sign? You know, Italy attacked Ireland across the pitch. And surely Scotland will look at that and take a few positive side. We can do exactly the same. Yeah, they will, I think. But, um, you know, I think it was still a good result in in, in, in Italy. Um, the big issue around your whole defensive structure was probably Gary Ringrose and a specialist 13. If Gary isn't there, you know, Robbie Henshaw would probably be next. Um, that's probably an area where, you know, there needs to be a little bit more depth. I think... Um, if it happened now that Gary Ringrose wasn't wasn't available, I think someone like Jimmy Brian, Jimmy O'Brien would end up playing as a thirteen. I think he's has that versatility. Um, and again, it's no disrespect to Stuart McCluskey or to Bondiaki. They're both brilliant inside centres. Um, they probably don't have the evasion and the the footwork to be that kind of um, play in that thirteen position, which is a very difficult position to play in. So. I think that was a problem, and, and what Ian is saying is correct, of course. And um, you know, he's playing in the modern game, and, and the, the key and, and focus for any attack coach in a game like this, um, which we reckon will be tight, um, how to how you unlock defenses, and you know, I'd expect Ireland to try and come up with one or two of those, you know, strike moves, maybe see if they can conjure up something and get a try out of it. Um, and on the other hand, Scotland have a lot of good footballers as well. It isn't just Finn Russell, Tupoloto and uh, Hugh Jones have been outstanding for them. Uh, Van der Merwe coming in off his wing. Um, so they have options. And Stuart Hogg, who we don't talk about as much, is very, very dangerous if you kick loosely to him as well. So I think when you're playing a game like this, um, you've got to get nearly most of the elements of your game right. You never get everything perfect. Um, but Ireland certainly do have to be mindful of that that wide, wide game that Scotland can play. And, and 
even those balls in over the top, um, if somebody comes out of the line to, as Ian said, to, to take someone out. Um, but you would hope that Ireland, the strength of what Ireland have done in the last couple of years, a couple of seasons with, with a lot of these positive results is, is controlling possession and tempo of games. Um, they're the ones dictating the pace. Um, one area that Ian mentioned at the start that I probably think is, is an area we can improve on is our kicking game. And I think it, against Italy in that, in that second half, we probably needed to be a little bit more pra- pragmatic and a little bit tactically better with our kicks. Um, turn Italy around, put them back there, force them into mistakes. So I think it's a game that um, you know both sides are very attack-minded. But we might get the opposite. They might cancel each other out and it might be small margins. You know, you think back two years ago, Johnny Sexton kicks a penalty to win it from touchline. We're expecting it to be a very tight game again. But Scotland will look at Italy and they'll say, yes, if you if you can hold on to the ball for a long time, and, and, and it's a very obvious one to say, with Ireland away, all, you know, even in New Zealand, uh, the French game, the possession they hold, have held on to the first half against Wales, if you take the ball off them and then you're really good at your breakdown and you attack and you don't make mistakes, well then, you know, maybe you'll ask questions and it'll just come down to mismatches at times or somebody coming up with a good step and to get through. And um, I think Scotland will definitely try and do that. Um, and that's the intrigue of this game. Matt, as Alan says, do you think it will be tight? You know, it is two attacking teams, but do you think we could get the opposite and it'll be, you know, one score game? Or do you think Ireland could actually play ball and, you know, they beat New Zealand away in a series. So why wouldn't they go and do it at Murrayfield and do it pretty comfortably? Or is that too much to ask? I, I think, Stu, again, it comes down to this fact that, you know, there's nothing between the top eight teams in the world. So Australia just beat Scotland at Murrayfield last November. Ireland, a penalty kick in the last uh, seconds of the game to, to win. And then Ireland beat Australia at at the Aviva by in the last minute, Rossburn kicks a penalty goal. So there's not there's not a lot between the top eight teams and everyone's beating each other. So there's no, no evidence out there to say this is going to be a one-sided game. And the other evidence that we have is that Scotland have definitely improved their consistency. They showed great character in Paris. They had a, a man down through try, let in three early tries, and then their comeback was quite inspirational. And they'll take great heart from that. And there's no doubt they've improved. The... the then if we, if we just switch this on its head for a moment, um, the, the tackle count for against France, France had to make 256, I think, but let's, say, let's just round it up, 250 tackles. Ireland made about 160. So that tells you how much more possession Ireland had. Ronan O'Gara's theory to beat Leinster was the exact opposite. Hold the ball. Don't let Leinster have the ball. Now, that theory was used by Leinster. To, they, they imposed that theory back on France. Right, because it worked, it worked against Leinster. That's they said, we'll use this against France. Whoever holds that possession and commands that possession, like Alan said, will, will win the game because both have quite potent attacks. Different attacks, but both still potent. One, one based on the brilliance and the vision of their out half, which is, which is Finn Russell in Scotland, and the brilliant sy- systemic attacking system that Ireland have. And just to address Alan's point again to finish off, I think Ireland will kick much more astutely than they did, and they didn't. And I think that was because Ross Byrne was in, and Ross wanted to show what he had. And I can't, and, and Ian will know this, I can't blame the young man. He's, he's had so much frustration. Here's my chance. Here's my 70 minutes, 80 minutes. I'm going to show what I've got. And I think if Ross had his time again, he might have kicked better. 
but I still think he'd play the same game because he wanted to show what he had. And I can't blame him. But, but obviously, you have Sexton coming in, the master, and and he'll know when to kick and and what to do. And I also think if Ring Rose is back at thirteen, uh, Ireland do kick very well traditionally. Right back to Brian O'Driscoll's time, that pass to a thirteen who kicks down the channel exceptionally well. So the, the, there's a lot saying it's going to be exciting, but there's still a lot saying it's going to be close. Yeah, I, I think I think what's really interesting. Yeah, I just what what I think is really interesting, Matt, on that one, and and we saw it in the first game that you know England played that they went with Marcus Smith and and Farrell and Marchant, and it it just didn't work. You know, all all brilliant players in their own right, but they didn't have didn't have that balance. And you know, you look at Marcus Smith, and why is he so good when he plays for Harlequins? Um, because he's got Esther Hazen there, who's a massive ball carrying twelve. We saw. You know, against Italy at the weekend, while Bundy and, and Stu are bro- both brilliant players, it doesn't necessarily mean that they're a great combination. Yeah. You know, why were were Drico and Doris so good for so many years? Because they worked. You know, Doris did the hard yards, gave Brian the true one on ones. They worked really well together. And my concern going into this weekend is if if Gary isn't fit, right, and then. I think Scotland have a lovely balance with uh, Tu Pilato and and Hugh Jones. Tu, you know, Tu Pilato is a really physical guy. He'll do the hard yards. Hugh Jones has got the speed. He'll challenge you on the edge. Do we go with Robbie at thirteen and then Bundy or Stu at twelve? And you know, Robbie's coming in having not played a whole lot of rugby. That would be an area of concern that I would have if if Gary doesn't come out. And you also, as as you touched on there, Gary does kick the ball well in the thirteen channel. Something that the other three guys don't don't do as consistently well as he does. Yeah. Ian, pretty much what you're saying is <laughs> Ring Rose is unbelievable and he's so key to this team to say the obvious. No, he is absolutely. And like he's he's for me, he's the best center in the world at the moment. Um, both sides of the ball. It, one area that I feel like he's really pushed on this this year is um is his aggressiveness in defense, his ability to read and then jump out and you know make big plays. And, you know, while, while you can look at that and go, oh, that was a great tackle, that can have a massive effect on the whole team. And, Quinny, you'll know this. Like, when you're playing in a, in a match and someone puts in a big hit, it can literally transform ev- everyone. It can energise the squad. It can bring everyone's belief up. And um, that's something that I've been r- really impressed with. And then I suppose the other side of it is he's just found a way to get his hands on the ball. You know, he's, he, he, he's gone hunting for m- much more. And that was, you know, a strength that, that that Draco and Doris had for years. If, if you know, they went through a period of 10, 15 minutes where the ball wasn't coming their way for whatever reason, they'd go hunting for it and they'd get their hands on it. And you're seeing that he's getting way more touches on the ball. And generally something will happen when he gets those chances. Last couple on this game. Um, the Scotland pack, they've been getting a lot of praise. Fully deserved. Do you think they have sort of got more hungrier and sort of more ferocious this season? Yeah, they have. They're, they've. Um, I think they're more confrontational. Um, they're they're better technically at what they're doing. Not not from a scrummaging and line out perspective, but just general play around the field. I think um, any any team that um, has success in a game now um, has to be really accurate at the breakdown. And usually, a lot of the the disappointments um, after matches is is uh, if you lose a game is is maybe accuracy the breakdown, a couple of vital turnovers going against you at certain areas. Um, so I think they've they've improved a lot, yeah, definitely, and and they're cohesive and they're 
there's a bit of a presence about them. Um, I think they, and that's not to say that they haven't had, we haven't seen good Scottish packs in the last number of years. We've seen lots of good individual performers, but I think that having the cohesiveness as a pack and understanding what, I think Matt Fagerson's a really good player as well. Um, uh, I think he's, He's a little bit underrated with Scotland and and in in, gen, in the general public. I think I love the, his work rate, his aggressiveness in the tackle. I think he gives him a lot of makes a lot of hard yards. Um, their back rows change a little bit at seven. Obviously, Hamish Watson came back in the last day. He'll be a boost for him. He's a very good player as well. And and um, I think uh, Jamie Ritchie on the blind side. So. You know, when you start naming out these players, they're very good players. I think um, you try and find an, a, a little bit of vulnerability in the fact that um, that togetherness, that unity is sometimes not always there and that you can physically take them on. So um, winning the collisions, winning the physical battle. And I think this Scottish team, going back to your questions, Stu, are now getting more little wins and those physical collisions and those physical battles. Obviously, Gilchrist, the last day, you know, got sent off. He's trying to make lay down a marker with Jalanch making the carry. He was reckless. He's too high. But I just think I noticed a little bit more of a, an aggression about them. They were really aggressive if, um, against Wales and against France and in Twickenham as well, even though, you know, the, the bit of brilliance from Van der Merwe um, that try is the one thing that stands out. So, um, yeah, they've become tougher, I think, and they're they're a skillful team. So, um, you know, Ian will tell you this as a ten. It's what happens in front of you, and I think their forwards is where the biggest improvements have have come. But we shouldn't be afraid as as an Irish team, and I don't think this Irish team will be afraid of expecting there to go there and win because I think they're a very mentally strong side. I think they're, they'll be very, very aware of um, if you're not on the money, this is a game Ireland could lose. But if if Ireland play really well and do what they we've seen them do, ultimately good runs come to an end at times. Um, you know, they should be confident about going their winning because they're 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 an incredible side and they've achieved a lot and uh, mentally they're strong. Um, and it's another big test to them mentally. It's another kind of challenge for them going forward and I think um, it'll be interesting to see how they handle that. Matt, last one on this for you. We've talked about Scotland's improvements. Have they improved enough to win? Yes, they have, Stu. Um, and, and that, what, what all Alan said uh, is, is 100% correct. If we look at their history in the last few years, they've shown that uh, that edge, that toughness that Alan just touched on. Uh, you know, Two years ago, they won in, in Paris and they won at Twickenham. So they've, they've, they've had that. What they haven't had is it week in, week out. And, you know, that, that's the, the mental side of it and the, probably the character side as well. And I'm not doubting their character. What, I'm, what I, I do think has changed uh, a lot for the improvement is the leadership within the group. So we know there's been, uh, you know, in some ways like petty but high-profile um, blow-ups about a couple of beers after a game that should never have got out of hand. It was very badly handled by everyone involved. But that that sort of tells you a bit about that leadership that was within that team. Now, Jamie Ritchie being made captain, I've always liked the way the young man played. I don't know him, but I've got to put it down to a change in leadership. I do know that after they, one of the incidents where where uh, 
uh, Finn and Stuart Hogg went out, and, and I think it was Ali Price who went out for a beer when they sh- told they shouldn't. You know, they, they had a couple of beers, don't go out. We're staying home. They said, no, we're going out. I know that the rest of the group was filthy because they're the leaders. And so I think the change in leadership has been driven from within the team. And I think sometimes that's that's what you need to unlock the, the character of the rest of the group. There's no doubt in the brilliance of those three players, they're British and Irish Lions. But the character of the group is different. And they, they display, that's not me just making that up. We could all see it in, when they played in, in France. France. Paris is one of the hardest places on the planet to go. You've got a red card in the first few minutes. I know France got a red card as well, but you're 19 points down. It takes character to come back from that. Not just skill and determination. It takes, takes more than that. And I think that, to me, that's the big change in this group. And Gregor, you know, he's laboured long and hard to get this out. He was patient. But I think, I think he's got the key to getting consistency and character to play with that team, to add to the things that, that, that the boys have just spoken about, you know, the, an excellent three-quarter line, brilliant back row, uh, and it was huge improvements in their tight five set plays and so on. But they have, they have lacked that, that killer that, that I'm going to do it next week and the week after and it's going to be consistent. And they've got a bit of that now. Now, I still think Ireland uh, have more, but there is no doubt that Scotland have put themselves in a position to win. There, there is, you know, anyone who says Scotland can't win, I just think that's denying the facts. I think Ireland will win if they play to their potential. We don't know the selection, but I still think Ireland, with the players we know about, will have enough. But, but you just, it would be very foolish and disrespectful of Scotland's achievements to say they won't. Uh, they haven't got an opportunity here. Well, it's going to be interesting, Matt. We'll leave your predictions later on, your favourite time. Ian, if we move to um, the other game, or sorry, one of the other games, England v France, looks like, from what we're reading, Owen Farrell's going to be dropped for the first time since 2015, which is another massive call. You touched on Marcus Smith. He looks to come in at 10. What do you like about him? And if you were the coach, is that the way you'd go with England going forward? Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm a big fan of Marcus Um I watched him play even at the weekend. Quinns were playing Exeter, and he just looked above the level, which is which is tough to do in the Premiership because it's it's a, it's a it's a good league. Um, I think if England want to be ambitious enough to win the World Cup, I would build a team around Marcus Smith. Um, he is a defence coach's nightmare because he's got an incredible, you know. Back bag of tricks, uh, fantastic passer. His ability to b- beat defenders one on one. He's a very good attacking, kicking game. Um, <clears throat> for a small guy, he's actually he's brave in defence. So you know, I'd have no concerns there. The, the the key is, and I touched on it earlier in the show, it's who he gets paired with. You can't put him with two other ball players, and that's why it didn't work in the first game. He needs a big ball carrying either twelve or thirteen, and then a a ball playing player with him um but yeah look I, I own Farrell hasn't had his best competition you know his kicking is usually metronomic that's let him down you know and that does come into it like goal kicking at, at international standard is at inter, international level is is crucial and Marcus Smith's stats have been probably 20 percent better than him so that alone would would be enough to get him in ahead of him but there's no getting away from it it's a huge call you're you're, you're dropping your your captain mid competition um and yeah look it's it, it's going to be an interesting one the, what 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 will interest me most is who he gets paired with 
hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Matt, I want to come to, come to you on this because we've talked about uh, Marcus Smith. We've done analysis pieces on him about going across the pitch, maybe when you think. And would it be fair to say you're still not convinced by him, or is that too harsh for me? Um, I, I think the decision. I'd agree with Ian. Like simply on kicking percentages, uh, for, for whatever reason, Farrell's just lost his rhythm and belief, and I, it's quite extraordinary because he's a magnificent. He has a history of being a magnificent goal kicker, but going in against France, perhaps Borthwick's not taking that chance now. Smith comes in, he's a very, very good kicker. There's no two ways about that. My, my problem with Marcus is he doesn't take that, that form from Quinns into international rugby. And I certainly agree with him that he needs a really powerful ball-running 12. But then Marcus, what Marcus does so brilliantly at Quinns, is takes the ball to the line, he's brave, he goes deep, he's got incredible footwork, and he, his passing game at the line is fantastic. Brilliant to watch. Create space, and and they score tries. It just does. He's just playing so deep in a white jersey. If he plays deep again, England will lose. So it is a big call from Borthwick. It's a big call. I can understand it for the kicking alone, but if if Smith continues to play deep at international level, and he passes uh, to a, to a uh, you know a ball running twirl, which I believe they will select, um, you're still going to have. Dante and and Gail Fiku, uh, you know, just just there, ready to eat them up. So he, he, he Smith has to take the ball forward, and that's his that's his problem at international level right now. Uh, look, and, and I, I was not I don't, to answer your question, I don't write him off in any way because his, his skill level is too good. But it is taking him a long, long time, longer than I thought, to adjust to the international game, and and this is a big week for him because he's playing. You know, one of the great teams and one of the great backlines uh, in, in world rugby at the moment. Alan, breaking news here. Don't know if you can see. Ollie Lawrence is at 12, Slade's at 13. And also, Alan, I want to get your take on France. They haven't won at Twickenham in the Six Nations since 2005. It's hard to believe that. It is, yeah. It's hard to believe that, yeah. And um, with that team just coming out now, it is Marcus Smith at 10. So, um, Owen Farrell is on the bench, I think. And, uh, it's an interesting one. Um, obviously, the boys, um, you know, have an opinion on it as well. And 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 Matt has been talking there about the depth of Marcus Smith and stuff. I just think the chopping and changing and the uncertainty. Um, you know, does Owen Farrell come back in now? Is he 
is this a chance now? Really? Is is Steve Borthy going to stick with Marcus Smith now for the World Cup? Or you know, I know there's there's still there's not a long long time to go, and um, he's a very very talented player. Um, and I've been surprised by the kicking from Owen Farrell. I still think he's a brilliant player. I still think he offers a lot. He just doesn't seem to be striking the ball well, and and it's it's a vital part of of international rugby of of any rugby, particularly in tight games. So it's um. Yeah, Ollie Lawrence is not your um, Esther Esther Hazen, is it? And uh, with Quinns that he has, um, but he's uh, he's still a powerful twelve who who gives him a bit of go forward. And and Slade is a lot of experience, so they'll be crucial in helping um, helping Marcus Smith. Fabian Galti as France will certainly try and run at that channel. And um, does it weaken him defensively a little bit? Farrell is such a good defender, um, and France are. You know, with Dante coming back into the side, I think there's absolutely no doubt that you know they'll want France will want to get him into into the game early, and he'll try and get in uh, in that that twelve channel of Marcus Smith. But you know, France have um, yeah, their record in record in Twickenham has uh, has has been really poor. I think um, always question marks um, about the the psychological me- uh, mentality of of. French team was in a travel, whether that's in Europe, in in you know the Champions Cup or or in the Six Nations. You know, there's a little bit more vulnerability about France or French teams when they travel. I think it'll be really interesting to see how they react after what happened in Dublin a couple of weeks ago, because I think if they had their time back, they would have played differently. I think they would have um, tactically tried to get more territory. Um, they got drawn into a bit of a kamikaze first half in that game in Dublin. It was incredible to watch, but it wasn't the France that we've seen smother and and out muscle teams in the last twelve months. And last year, Six Nations they did that brilliantly, and um, they did it in November again. Um, so I just think France are probably learning uh, how to deal with this uh, elevation of being favourites for Six Nations, being favourites probably for the World Cup. Um, I think they'll get better, and I think they'll go to Twickenham, um, maybe with a little bit, a few tweaks in their in in their game plan, particularly at the start of the game. But they're they're a brilliant side; they're absolutely incredibly powerful. I think they missed Cameron Walkie in the second row. I think he was he was absolutely outstanding for him. Great lineout operator, um, for sure. You know, Flamont is is a good player, but he's not the same player. I think Walkie is a brilliant player. Jalange is a is a lost him. Um, I know Ant, um, um, Cross comes in there, and uh, he's he's uh, he's a very good player. I think Francois Cross, and then uh, I'm probably not pronouncing that right. Matt, Matt will probably uh, get me. Is it Francois Croix? Francois Croix. He's a good player, very good player as well. But Jalange is a lost. But if you look across this French team, um, you know they've Mo Vaca back in the bench. That's an incredible impact off the bench from him. He's a great player. Um, so every team will have a couple of injuries, but I think that um, I think we'll see a, we'll see a reaction from France here at the weekend. The really intriguing part of this game for me is I think England, even though they have been fairly bland in their approach, they're still going to be a very they're, they're still going to be a handful for anyone to beat them because physically. Um, they're still quite a powerful side. Ian, just a final one on the 10 jersey with Smith in there. Surely, like yeah. to say the obvious, in your career, 
whenever you know you're starting a run of games, it's probably the most confident you'll feel and probably play the best. Would you nearly think Steve Borthwick would put the arm around him and say, you are the man to lead us to the World Cup? Or is he not ready to say that to them, to him? And also going forward to get this attacking England backline going, surely you need to run a five, six games or do you not get that, get that anymore? Well, I think I think the game against Exeter at the weekend was really important for him. And he looked like a guy to me who was full of confidence. You know, it, it, he didn't look like someone who'd been affected from, you know, the first couple of rounds of, of the Six Nations. I think another really important point is, you know, this is Borthwick's first campaign, you know. So he's had three games, but he's also had, you know, a training week before the last round. And now he's had another extra training week before this round. So you, in my view those training weeks in his system is crucial. The way Leicester won the Premiership was by kicking the ball a huge amount, playing the ball in the right areas. Is that Marcus Smith's natural game? No. But is he going to do his very best to please Borthwick and show him, look, I can do the kicking game, but I can also get the balance right and I'll know when to pull the trigger when we're on to go, when I'm on to go myself, when I'm on to release other players. So <clears throat> while it wasn't there in the first game, we're now much further down the track. And there's no doubt that I, like Borthwick's not going to say, look, you're my man now. But he's going to try and say, look, you've been training well. You're learning the system. This is what I want you to do in certain situations. But at the same time, you're Marcus Smith. Trust your instincts. Your instincts are good. Play your game. Um, and I think I actually think England are going to win this weekend. I really like Ollie Lawrence in the midfield. I know he doesn't have a whole lot of experience but he's a very physical player. He's a smart defender. Um, and I've always been a big fan of Slade. So I, I think England could, could could turn them over this week. The predictions keep on coming, even before the end. Oh, final game of the weekend. <laughs> Italy v Wales. I know who you're going to say is win the, going to win this game, but like Wales in such a terrible place. Italy improving all the time. Is this, you know, back-to-back wins for them? Is this the way it's going to go? Um, it's really, it's going to be a really difficult game. And I think I was reading some press and, uh, um, some kind of questionnaires online about how will Wales do on Sunday from, um, um, or on Saturday in, in, in Rome. It's very, it's going to be a very difficult game for them. Italy have been really good. I think, um, it depends what, what, what how they can contain them and, um, control the, if, if Wales decide to go to Rome, play two phases and kick the ball up in the air, well, there's only going to be one winner and that's Italy. Um, they've got to be so much better in their attack. Um, Warren Gatlin has made another six changes again. Um, I don't know. Um, is it just rolling the dice with different guys um, and just seeing what they can do? And he's, even though he says he's deeply hurt and upset by the losses, um, I'm not sure... You know where where Wales are at the moment. What the evidence we've seen has been really really poor. I think they had obviously that twenty minute period in in that Ireland game where they they looked so much more energetic. Um, they seemed to be stringing passes together, getting over the game line, attacking Ireland. Ireland were hanging on for for parts of that game, but you know there's. I think he's just got to stick with the young players now. Daffod Jenkins comes back into the second row. Alan Wynne-Jones didn't play well against England the last day. Um, Jack Morgan comes back in again. So there's there's been so many changes from Ireland, Scotland, England. Um, 
I think he's got to try and get some continuity with younger players and just work with them if the results are not going to happen. You know, Liam Williams comes back in at fullback. Why, why wasn't Liam Williams playing against England? You know, um, I know Lee Halfpenny is out, but I, I just can't understand why Lewis Rees-Samet is on the bench. I, I don't care what... I don't care what team you are in the world. I'm having him in my team, whether it's left wing, right wing, fullback, outside centre. I don't care. I think he's he's the one player that can just do something magical. Um, but it's uh, again on paper, it looks like a decent team, and I, and I've probably said that a few times for in the last while well, watching Wales since the start of the competition, and the players have let Warren Gatland down here. I do give the just mitigation around their attack because. Number one, it doesn't help when you when your maybe your hand has been forced to make all these changes because guys are not performing. But also, Alex King, the attack coach, has very had very little time with them, and that's dangerous for, for Wales at the moment. Um, given that we're you know six months out from a World Cup, so um, Italy have been they've looked the opposite. They've looked like that um, they're really cohesive. Their attack is um, full of variation and confidence. And I think they, it is, it's stating the obvious here. I'm sure the boys will agree with me. But Italy will think this is the one. This is, uh, this is the one we're going to win in the Six Nations. We have to believe we're going to win this one. So um, if Wales go there and kind of stop making mistakes and, and actually attack and string some passes together and build, get to multi-phase, of course they can win the game. And you'd expect Wales to be able to do that. But I think they're in a such a precarious position now, Wales, that they'll be so they'll be really, really nervous about this. If they use that energy in the right way, it may get a result from. But you'd have to fancy Italy. Matt, all these changes can't help. No Alan Wynne Jones in a squad, no Dan Bigger. I know we're talking about bringing the youth. Is that what he has to just stick with, as Alan said? And as a coach, if you're making all these changes every week. Are you really that confident going into the going into the weekend, or how is it working a coach's head? Uh, it doesn't matter about the coach's head; it's the boys' head, isn't it? The players' head, and uh, changes. Now, now to be fair to Gatlin, he said he was going to change things up, and he said he's all the players aren't going to play every game. Um, I think he's trying to prolong them. Um, they have some got some good guys, good young guys coming through, and they have been selected and have been given an opportunity. They haven't done much. With that opportunity, it has to be said. Now, Alan, if we come back to your pressure, uh, your, your questions, Stu, I think this is an extraordinary game in the history of the Six Nations. When's the last time Italy were favourites for a game? Well, I don't know if they've ever been favourites for a game. I think they're favourites to win this game. Yet, all the pressure sits on the shoulders of the Welsh because it is they know they're in a disastrous position They've played appallingly. They know Welsh rugby is in, well, it just, it's just, it's a cliche, but it's turmoil. It's, 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 they don't know where their future is. All these factors are at play in this game. And then you make another six changes. And as Alan alluded to, the, the problem I have with looking at Wales, I can't tell you the framework, the structure that they're playing in in attack. I can look at Italy and I can see a definite change to a framework and a structure and the Italian players, to their credit, are using it and they're playing it very, very well. Um, and that's one of the main reasons, not the only reason, but one of the main reasons we're seeing uh, such a resurgence in, in the perform- performance of the national team. 
I can't say the same for Wales. Now, if, if I'm taking what Alan says, it's true. King has had very little t- uh, time with the team. Hopefully we'll see something. But, wow, I, I, in the last game, I saw Owen Williams screaming for his forwards to come around the corner. And on television, uh, I couldn't work out why. And Alan told me later on, he was at the game, saying that the forwards just weren't getting it. They, they looked exhausted. So is it their conditioning? I don't know. Is their conditioning a factor? So, so all of this is saying to you, Welsh rugby is just, it's just in a position where none of us could suggest they're going to win with any sort of a certainty or where, you know, I always say, where's the evidence? And I can't find any. Now, usually uh, Italy of the, of, of the last 10 years, you'd say, but it's still enough to beat Italy. I don't know if that's the case this week. If the Italians come out and play for 60 minutes, like they played for 60 minutes against France and Ireland, they'll go very close. They'll go very, very close, and then they should win that game. And if Wales don't improve drastically with the ball in hand, they will lose the game. Be some sorry beating them last year at home and then going, you know, or sorry, in Cardiff and then winning this yeah. weekend. And if we stick with Italy, the game plan, you know, running from everywhere, but they're doing it with intent and there's real strategy to it. You know, being Garbisi, you know, and Brex outside them there at 13, must be great to play in, but like they look dangerous, don't they? Absolutely, yeah. And I think if, if Garbisi was playing in the first game against France, I'd, I'd have full confidence that he would have got them over the line. There's a big step down to Tommaso Allen. And, you know, you could see at the end of the, the French game, he was kind of shaky and they just needed someone to really step up and, and, and drive them over, over the line. And I, I don't think they'll have a better chance of, of beating France. Um, I, 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 at the same time, the, while it was, a, it was great to push France that close, I wasn't convinced with that performance because I thought the French had an eye in the Irish game, game the following week. I thought they underperformed. Um, and, but... On the flip side of that, the performance that they put out against Ireland, I was very impressed with. One thing I will say about that is there was no, no real expectation on them going into the Irish game. And you're playing with, you know, no massive pressure on you. This is the first time in the competition that, as, as Matt said, they're, they're favourites. So how are they going to deal with that? Are they are they going to are they going to still play the same expansive kind of carefree rugby or are they going to go right? We're going to be a bit more tactical, try and play the game in the in the, in the right place. Um, and on, on Matt's point, which I thought was very interesting, like watching Wales, I'm trying to figure out, you know, what kind of style of player they're playing. And at times, they just look absolutely exhausted. And for me, it's playing in the wrong areas and they're using up too much energy. I don't think they're unfit, but I think that when they do finally get into the right parts to play, they've used up all their energy, you know, back playing between the 10 meter lines and then they get to the 22 eventually and the outhouse roaring at them to get around the corner and they've got nothing left to give but that that comes back to if you compare that to let's say the irish system where they know right this is a time that we can serve energy once we get to this position right foot to the floor empty the tank i just can't see that cohesion with the welsh side and that's a massive concern for me and ian sorry to stay on that is that a Players' responsibility, they aren't good enough, or they are good enough, not being coached properly, or is it a mix of everything? Um, it's a combination of the two. Like obviously, like the, the two guys in the control room at nine and ten need to have their their, their finger on the pulse of, of look, now's the time to play. We feel like this is a good opportunity. We've got to manage the energy of our pack. You know, 
they've just had two big mall sets or, you know, whatever it might be. That's a huge part of it. But also you need to be given a framework from the coach. And, and you know, early on, let's say, for example, first 20 minutes, let's play the ball in the right areas. We don't want to be running out of our own half. When we get the opportunity to pump the ball along, we do that. And if, if, if that message is made clear, even it's a simple thing, but guys don't have to kick chase aggressively up and back if you know that your back three are guaranteed to be kicking the ball back. I'm looking at the Welsh team and there's some guys sprinting back and there's some guys sprinting forward. And I'm kind of going, well, is the plan being made clear here? And that's where, as Matt says, sometimes they just look wrecked. Um, but there's no doubt that if, if you do a fitness test between the Welsh guys, the Scottish guys and the Irish sides, th- there's not going to be much of a difference. But it's how you use that energy. And that's where I think they're falling down. Quinny, you never look wrecked in a pitch. The last one on that, Al, just as in what's been mentioned about them being favourites. You know, when is the last time they've been favourites, if ever, in a Six Nations game? But how do you think their game plan, will it change at all? Will they tighten up or will they still play carefree, as Ian said? Um, I, I think they'll stick to to, to what they've been doing. Um, you know, I think RBC is, is, uh, has been really brilliant for him. Um, I think he was brilliant against Ireland. Um, his control and 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 his um, you know decision making was really good. I think Stephen Varney had a better game. He didn't uh, get blocked down a few times and uh, like he did against France. Um, I think um, it's the only way they can play. And we you know we had uh, Sebastian Negri on with us last before the Italian game and. He spoke about the the environment and enjoying it and being well coached and getting lots of good detail from from the various different coaches. Um, so I think Kieran Crowley has done a really good job with a team that um, up to this point, um, you know, I've always been expected to lose. Um, so we're now talking about an Italian team that we're expecting to win probably. Um, so there's been a big shift in, in their mentality. I think... Um, you know their kicking game is still very important. You can't just start throwing the ball around from your own, your own twenty-two and expect to, you know, to make line breaks and stuff like that. And it's it's very taxing if you're doing that against a defence and you're not really going anywhere. You've got to kick sometimes. So, but I just think they're in pro. It's not that their their attack is any more um, extended or longer than other teams. It's just that their execution and they're maximising. You know the talent that they have and the players who can do something. You know, I think Ignacio Brex has been brilliant from a thirteen. He did make a poor decision with the crossfield kick, but I think you know the earlier you get the the ball into that guy's hands, he can run at people. He has the confidence to, you know, to to take people on. I think Capuzzo, um not being in the side this week is a loss for them. That's uh, I think the Welsh the Welsh will be <laughs> pleased that he's not there. Um, <laughs> But right across the board, I think they've become they've good footballers. I think if you look at Menoncello, he's a brilliant player as well. I love his his um his confidence. So you're you're picking a lot of players. Padovani, great runner with the ball. So the, there's there's players in that field now that are not trying to bosh people. You know, traditionally Italy would be in your face, trying to be really aggressive. These guys now are trying to find space. They're looking for gaps. They're looking to create things. And I love the fact that uh, that. You know, when we watched them play, that that's that's what they've been doing. Um, I think their back row has been absolutely outstanding uh, for them. I think they've been very, very influential in 
in uh, in their approach. Uh, Lorenzo Canone at number eight has been outstanding. The number eight, Negri and Michaelo Lamero, the captain as well. So um, lots of good elements to their game. Um, but the challenge is they're at home now and how will they deal with expecting to to, to, to get a result here? Well, we will find out. It's been a pleasure, but we need predictions. Matt, because Alan spoke there, we need you first. What are we saying? Three games, who's going to win? Well, there's three really tight games, aren't they? Three really, really tight games that could go anyway. But I'll I'll, uh, mate, I'll I'll start out and let Quinny run off my shoulder like he always does. <laughs> mate, Ireland to win in in Murrayfield, uh, Italy to win at home, and France to win for the first time since two thousand and five at Twickenham. Alan, you're next. Don't be copying him, not. Um, no, I won't. I go for three home wins. Oh wow! Okay, Quinny. Be cool. I've got to hear you. Know you think Scotland are going to win? Come on, say it. Yeah, the way the way I'm picking this is, um, everyone will say I'm wrong. Ireland will win the game, and it won't really matter. But if Scotland were to win, then I'd be a real. I'd be seen as an expert, really. You know what a call for me. <laughs> um, no, I think it's going to be very tight. I, I, yeah. I just I, the way this Ireland team are going, I find it to be incredibly difficult to say that it can't go there and win and won't go there and win so I think it's Ireland England and Italy so you've changed they're not three home wins then no no I was just drawing you in there and see what your reaction was um, uh, I certainly so did draw I'm going Ireland England I think England will possibly beat France because I think they might they might just improve a little bit more I think they might physically match France um, and Italy to beat Wales. Nice. Um, I I think Wales are going to beat Italy. Um, I just think they're going to they're going to find enough. I I don't think Italy are going to deal with the pressure of being favourites. Um, I'd agree with Quinny. I I like uh, how England have set up there with with um, Smith, Lawrence, Slade. So um, I'm backing them to. To beat France, and then I'm going to say the Irish game is going to be a draw. I'm going to sit right on the fence, <laughs> <laughs> and if it comes off, I'll be the true expert. <laughs> Doesn't work like that, mate. Doesn't work. Doesn't like work. That. You get a few splinters there. That's been the absolute. It's been an absolute <laughs> pleasure, Ian. Great to have you on your insight. Don't forget to join us and tune in on Saturday as Italy take on Wales on Virgin Media and also England play France. Thanks for joining us, man. Thanks. Cheers, guys. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.